This episode is brought to you by Lake Grade. Lake Grade is a sun-grown craft cannabis brand that is sustainably grown under the blue skies of Lake County, California. Lake Grade has five proprietary strains that are rack-dried and carefully hand-trimmed from 16-foot-tall cannabis trees. Ooh, I would love to see those trees in person. Wait, is that 16... A basketball hoop and a half of a weed tree? Isn't that amazing? Yo, shake my trunk and fall all over me. (laughs) You know my favorite strain? What? A lemon sour diesel. A lemon sour diesel tree? Mm -hmm. I... I bet I could bloodhound my way to that forest <laughs> from a million miles away. That's so cool. I love Lake Grade. Lake Grade is giving back to communities in two ways. First, they support the Last Prisoner Project to help free those previously incarcerated for cannabis-related activities that are no longer illegal in California. And Lake Grade donates each month to One Tree Planted, focusing their dollars on their reforestation efforts in the fire-damaged areas of California. Fantastic. Yeah, remember when the sky was red because the yeah. earth was angry? It was crazy. Man, thank you, Lake Grade. Lake Grade is available at Sweet Flower and High Times dispensaries, as well as on ease.com. Follow them on Instagram at Lake Grade. It's great flower, and if you like this podcast, please support the people who support us, like Lake Grade. They're, they're tops. They're the best. They're 16-foot tree tops. Yes, that's right. Thanks, Lake Grade. We love you guys. Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. I just heard that the Trader Joe's Hearts of Palm pasta that I discovered pretty recently that was like zero points for a whole thing of noodles. I just bought it on your, uh, suggest like not suggestion, but I saw you were excited. So I bought some myself. You bought some? Yeah. It's in my, yeah. Okay. That shit is like gold because according to our friend Jordan, who just texted me from Trader Joe's, it's been discontinued. What? We have limited edition artichoke pasta? <laughs> uh-huh. Is that true? Jordan just texted me when I was on my way over here. Where is this pasta? Is it a frozen thing or a pantry thing? I'm in Trader Joe's scouring. And I wrote back and I was like, I'm pretty sure it's in like the section with like the anchovies and the, you know, dolmas yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And she, she wrote, oh my God, it's out of production. I just asked the nice man and he looked at me like he was reporting that someone died. Oh my gosh. So you have limited edition Hearts of Palm zero point pasta in your like lock your doors man people are coming people there's going to be a new ocean 11 yeah to break into my apartment on the second floor zero and points. get my pasta yeah all those ww uh members subscribers are coming because they know it's zero points holy cow i want to make sure i have some <laughs> go check check make sure it's there oh my god because is it gone? No, I'm just kidding. Check it out. Yes, it's been discontinued. I mean, we should scour every Trader Joe's location in Los Angeles and see if it's there. But I mean, here's the thing, though. I'm pretty sure it was discontinued because people hated it. Like, I haven't tried it you yet. Haven't tried it. Well, tastes. Do you like Hearts of Palm? I love Hearts of Palm. You do? Yes. You don't love- wait. Wait. If you're gonna ask me, don't judge my answer. Because if you don't love Hearts of Palm, you're not gonna like this pasta. Because it truly just tastes like right out of the jar or can. 
Do you like Hearts of Palm? I fucking love Hearts of Palm. Then why are you judging me with a you do? I don't know. I feel like you've told me that you don't. I feel like you're anti. If it's a... Here's when I don't like Hearts of Palm. Mm -hmm. When it is the main topping on a pizza, Mm -hmm. it's too much chunk in your mouth. It's overpowering. I don't like one big hunk of palm on a slice. I find all of that to be bullshit. I need like petals, you know, covering the pie, not just hunks of it. And that's when I really don't like it because it tastes like shit and it's too full in my mouth. Uh, okay. See? Well, I don't know. I'll be interested but to hear what of you nudes? think of your, your white gold. Your... <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah. It's really funny because like Legends of the Hidden Temple is coming back where all these kids have to climb all over these um, like ruins to get the prize. And now I can picture like an adult version where everyone's like, it's been discontinued. <laughs> <laughs> get it. <laughs> Wow. Breaking news here on Weed and Grub. That's right. All right. Well, thank you to our... Um, our correspondent. Correspondent. Yes. You know, on the streets. East Coast correspondent, Jordan. <laughs> Shout out Jordan, who like is always keeping us up to date on what's going on in like the weed scene in New Jersey and New York. and The Trader Joe's the, the, What's happening at Trader Joe's? <laughs> We're going to Jordan live outside of a Trader Joe's. Oh, yeah. We're here amongst the pandemonium. People are throwing (laughs) bricks through the window. (laughs) Yeah, ramming shopping carts into the glass. Let us in! Uh, wow, well, what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? <laughs> so good. Welcome to Weed and Grub, everybody. This is a podcast about comedy. Cannabis. Cooking. Culture. Calling shit out. And, and discontinued items at Trader Joe's. Yeah, chaos in the streets. Woo, I mean, I got super upset recently when I went to try and find the smoked almonds that I really love, and they were out of those for a minute. Of, at Trader Joe's? Mm-hmm. That's a crucial Trader Joe's purchase every time. I think they were just out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way they get rid of that, that smoked almond. Terrifying moment, yeah. Almonds are so many points, though. I haven't had an almond in a month because they're like six points. It is. It's a lot. It's a lot. I definitely have like slowed my role on my almond consumption. Weight Watchers hates nuts. Weight Watchers? <laughs> yes. They're not a big fan of nuts. Like that's usually my munchie go-to. I get mm-hmm. super high and mm-hmm. then I get the munchies and then I eat a handful of almonds, a hard-boiled egg, like loose deli meat well, and sour cream on an egg with bread. And now I can't do any of that shit. Now you're just eating weird loose salad bowls. <laughs> you don't even want to know what I had for lunch today. Do you want to know? I do want to know what you had. First, have. I should preface this with I have lost 14.6 pounds in the past three weeks. So Weight Watchers does work. But... I tried to preview it on the Katrina Davis episode about my loose bowl mixtures that I'm enjoying. Right. But nobody else was going to... Nobody's going to... Okay, fine. Whatever. Here we go. Okay. Today, I Trader Joe's has this great lentil pack where yes. it's just a bunch of pre-made lentils that you can heat up and they're ready to rock. Zero points. So I mix those with Brussels sprouts that I just kind of like cut up into thin slices. Mm-hmm. And then I tear turkey deli meat and throw all of that into a pot together with a teaspoon of oil, which is three points, Uh, elote seasoning, garlic powder, paprika, and salt. Mix, 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 mix until it's all heated through. Then I add a splash of white wine vinegar. Jesus. And then I add two eggs with the heat off, and the residual heat from all of that cooks the eggs, and I keep it swirling so none of it sticks. And then I slide all of that into a bowl and top it with vegan Caesar dressing, two tablespoons, three points. I, <laughs> I'm speechless. You're a psycho. I cannot believe that I have allowed you to be in my house. Brussels sprout, lentils, turkey, eggs, eggs and Caesar. A lote seasoning? <laughs> what the fuck is happening? 
I knew it. I know. Oh, I know. I'm genuinely shocked. I know. There's no way that that tastes good. That's like a suicide bowl. There's no way that that tastes good. What are you? What are you? What is the ultimate effect? Like, what is it? What is that taste? Um, it's chaos in your mouth. I'm using right. that word so much, but yeah. tis the theme. Um, yeah, matches what's happening in the world, I guess. Yeah, well, it's also happening in my bowels and <laughs> at Trader Joe's. It's because, like, to me, Brussels sprouts. A package of Brussels sprouts lasts forever, and uh-huh. they're they're filling. Lentils mm-hmm. filling, no points. I love turkey meat and eggs. And then if you just add a bunch of spices and something gloppy to sync it all together, that's all I need. I need I need a glop. I need a meat. I need a bunch of different seasonings and some kind of carb to curb my appetite. Can I can I pitch a name for this bowl? Yeah, the state of the world bowl. <laughs> a f- fucking mess. <laughs> Like a bunch of stuff that's kind of good and then a bunch of stuff that's definitely not good. All of it's going on at the same time. You know, there are redemptive qualities in this bowl, of course. Yes, who doesn't love a lentil or a Brussels sprout? But what is happening with the, like, white wine vinegar and a lote seasoning along with vegan Caesar dressing? Like, Do you know why I added the white wine vinegar? It's no. not because of flavor. It's because I didn't want to add any more oil because it's points. Okay. And I was like, I just need a liquid. And so I add a splash of vinegar so that nothing sticks to the bottom of the pan not even for flavor just on practical reasoning wow well i'm sure your apartment smells crazy when you're (laughs) eating that i mean brussels sprouts alone is like unleashing farts so (laughs) fucking wow i'm truly shocked whatever what are you eating on weight watchers i listen i not i'm not trying to be holier than thou or saying i'm doing any better i'm eating a bunch of super weird stuff but right now i just looked in my fridge before i came over and i i have it's all liquids because I'm hydrating so much and I'm not really drinking at all. So right now my entire fridge is full of these like liter Italian mineral water bottles and a bunch of different flavors. I have like pineapple, passion fruit, lime, mint, elderflower, strawberry, all these different flavors. I have kombucha. I have a gallon of filtered water. Next to that, I have a Brita that's filtering the water to refill that gallon thing. I have a carton of those core wellness shots that oh, are like immunity expensive yeah it's I'm like turmeric them. and ginger they're so good they're well i'm really enjoying them right now because it feels like a little treat to myself and you know just like i mean i definitely it's not sustainable because but what are so you expensive. eating but then oh and i have like oat milk like it's all fucking liquids <laughs> what i'm eating today okay two hard-boiled eggs for breakfast every day yeah sometimes a banana so satisfying Lunch has lately, it's been the same thing, which is this Trader Joe's cauliflower fried rice that's um, mixed with like ginger and scallions. And it's just kind of this bag that you can throw in a pan and heat up. And the whole bag, which is like four servings, is four points. And it just is like a big cauliflower rice bowl. And then dinner, I'm kind of, I've been doing pretty well. Like a protein and a, and a leafy green of some kind. And, and then my uh, fucking Christ, is this a banana? How good is this <laughs> dessert? <laughs> the best dessert in the world. <laughs> Holy fuck face, this is a banana? Jesus Christ, bananas are good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my whole thing. Well, let me cook for you sometime. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're not invited. 
Oh my God! What else is happening? So much. Well, uh, I've, I'm I'm trying to hit ten thousand steps a day. Okay. Which is good healthy. and nice and healthy. Great. So, but yeah, not much more to report. I've been smoking <clears throat> a ton of weed, but we'll get more into that with our news story this yeah. week. Um, I really liked rolling a joint and going for a stoned walk with you here the other night when we rolled up that wedding cake and went for a stroll through the night streets of West Hollywood because um, we were doing that a lot in New York, and I have been missing the like stoned strolls. So it was really good to. Like, mm-hmm. do that again here and remind me. Would you call like, it a chomp and a stomp? Oh, a st- <laughs> well, you said you needed to get your steps up that, so that you could, like, justify having... Um, yeah, I was at 8,000. I was like, 2,000 more steps. Let's go. Yeah. And so I said, it's uh, the stomp and chomp. The stomp and chomp. You stomp, you stomp so you can chomp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I make I make state of the world bulls and do stomp and chomps. Stomp and chomps. Fucking, I can't wait for this pamphlet <laughs> to come out about how I lost weight and how to keep it off yeah <laughs> just insane nobody's gonna follow it <laughs> lunacy oh. uh yeah i should start submitting these to depression meal on reddit one of the best reddits of all time that will last forever i don't know it oh go to reddit and look up depression meal Oof. it's it's everything we're talking about mm-hmm. yeah for sure all right yeah what did you write about our gate Oh, yeah. So uh, I heard on the news when I was coming over here on NPR, driving over after I dropped my ballot off to vote no against the recall for Gavin Newsom. I hope everybody listening to this who can vote fucking voted. I heard a story on NPR about how Apple um, has, they're coming out with like a bunch of new products as always. And one of them is that the new operating system, the iOS, is going to be able to measure your gait like how you walk mm-hmm. and that this is being sold to us. And this is how I know I've been spending a lot of time with you in the past. Well, a few years at this point, like your, your conspiracy theory brain question, everything taken mine over a Fox Mulder for life for sure. Cause I heard this story. So the, the story is that they're measuring people's gait in order to know when someone who might be older is like in danger of falling or maybe has fallen down and needs 911 alerted. And there is this actual, the whole branch of something that I'd never heard of called age tech, which is, you know, these services for senior citizens or people who might need to live with care <clears throat> to alert. You know, it's basically like that I've fallen and I can't get up 2021. It's right? a very real thing. Yes. I'm not going to talk shit about that. My grandma has fallen and mm-hmm. it has been bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mother is elderly and luckily she has an awesome caregiver. But, you know, when that person's not around, it would be very um, helpful to know that, you know, there's something else that is monitoring her. So not against that. But. I was just, it just, it felt tricky to me that they're selling this new iOS that's measuring your gait in an effort to, you know, hopefully be helpful for senior citizens. When I'm like, that's for AI. Mm -hmm. They're monitoring how we walk in order to be able to train our robot army how to run. Yes. That's brilliant, Mary Jane. What an easy (laughs) to make leap. That doesn't feel like much of a leap to me. I mean, I just seems so reasonable. All the data collection, right? Like everything that Facebook is doing with all of our data is in order to enhance their AI. And I just feel like this as well is Same with TikTok. Like, same with China. Um, it's yeah. an AI race that we're in how, these days. Yeah. yeah. Measuring how we walk. Like that's not about how Every time people f- fall down. <laughs> Boston Dynamics goes viral with like, oh. now our robot knows how to do the cha-cha slide. Oh I'm like, God. why does a robot need to know the cha-cha slide? It's not coming to my niece's bat mitzvah. It's not <laughs> invited. 
So yeah. why does it need to know how to dance? <clears throat> yeah. It's because those complicated movements, while still keeping your balance and the coordination it takes, mm-hmm. means that we can't knock them off their fucking legs while they're chasing us with a gun. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, I agree with you. I agree. I, I think for a very long time, I wasn't concerned about AI. And then like, you know, as, as things are unfolding and evolving, and as I hang out with you a lot, you love to, you know, question fucking everything. I, you know, I see like a delivery bot, for instance, in West Hollywood, there are these um, post mates delivery bots that go out and they're look they're super innocuous looking like they, they've made them very cute they have like mm-hmm. big eyes basically as headlights and they kind of look like a minion crossed with a stroller like, oh yes it's Perfectly totally described. inoffensive it can't do anything to cute. you cute i don't want to beat it up yeah, yeah but it doesn't get out of your way when you're walking on the sidewalk that robot has the fucking right away and you were the one who called that to my attention when we came up against one and you're like Oh, I'm not fucking moving. Why should I get out of a robot's way? It was so... And I was like, oh my God, this is the future. Yeah. Well, we have to get out of the way of all the fucking robots. Right? For you to get your fucking shitty salad from Sweet Greens? <laughs> Why is that my priority? Oh, yeah. So definitely like chilled me when I heard that uh, with NPR reporting it as like, you know, age tech and helping seniors. And I was like, there's something behind it. Always. Always. <clears throat> because it's never as... Because that's too small of an idea for me. I don't, these, I think. Helping old people. Right. Right. And not to say it's not important, but I don't, I can't think of one successful company that thinks that's small. Right. 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 When you're a global um, power, Mm -hmm. that you're, you're not trying to corner the health of old people market. Right. What, what does that do? Because those those consumers are all passing, so well, it no, doesn't keep was, you in the mix. Actually, there is a lot of money in age tech because as the, our population ages, there are, those are also the people who <clears throat> some of them have a lot of money. And oh, interesting point. So it's not that it's not a rapidly growing and large segment of the tech industry, but I don't know. I was just like mm, on our like stoned uh, stomp to chomps. We definitely have like questioned some big things, and I was like, Mike's cutting Absolutely. into my brain. It's true though, because like as soon as TED Talks started coming out, when when the iPhone was created, which revolutionized everything, and then all of a sudden TED Talks started coming out about the dangers of Facebook and. Uh, as soon as big-brained, well-researched people started talking about data as the new oil, mm-hmm. it, it made me have to wonder about it all because ultimately right? we are oil you to like the a, rest of the world. It, it creeps me out when you say it like that in, in a, like a physical way. Like I can feel parts of my body tighten. Yeah. Like, mm, I don't like that. I, and, but yes, mm-hmm. 100%. Well, that ties into our new story, actually, oh, yeah. if I could dive into it. Let's dive into it. Okay. Real quick, I just have to say my last thing about that NPR story was that someone was quoted, um, there was an audio clip of him talking about it, and he pronounced the word issue, and I was like, wherever you are, don't do that. It's not issue. It's Mm-mm. issue. Okay? Yeah. Let's get that straight. Issue. Issue. I was like, no. It's do you because need a tissue no... oh. for your issue? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just weirded me out. I don't know. He's probably a very nice person, but... No, he's not. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Sorry to interrupt. What is... Oh, well, our new story is presented first, we should say. Our uh, new segment, The Grubla Gazette is presented by OCB Rolling Papers, the largest rolling paper brand in the world, crafted naturally since 1918. OCB offers a full line of plant two-puff papers made with sustainable fibers farmed from within a 310.686 mile radius of their facility in France. If you were listening last week, it's a 500 kilometer kilometer radius from in France, but I'm not doing KMs. I'm in America, <laughs> baby. It's much easier to say 310.686 miles from their facility in France. <laughs> so, 
Wow. Wow. Okay. Anyway, OCB is powered by 100% green energy. In, in 20, France. In, in 2020, OCB rolled out America's first ultra-thin, slow-burning bamboo rolling papers and cones, which are even burning, no-tear, GMO-free, and vegan. Not all rolling papers are created equal. OCB offers a premium smoking experience that we call Harmony on High. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers and sample the entire line of products. Plus, visit OCBUSA.com and give them a follow on Instagram at OCB underscore USA. If you like weed and grub, please follow the people that like weed and grub, like OCB. Yeah, support the people who support us. And also, now we all know that 500 kilometers (laughs) is 310.686 miles. Great. (laughs) (laughs) That's why people tune in. To learn numbers. <laughs> to learn about miles. Okay, what is this story that has you all worked up? Well, it's a story that I'm I'm curious if a lot of people already know because it did definitely make waves in the cannabis world. Uh, please interrupt me as I go because I tried to do as deep of a dive as possible and okay. I don't want to talk forever if there are points to be made. Sure. It. Okay, so CNN Health about six days ago came out with a huge online article Who's, let me pull up the headline. The headline is, oh, how do you get rid of pop-ups? <laughs> See, the fucking world, You're man. always on me about all of my notifications and dings young, and dongs. Okay. Young, this is from Megan Marples at CNN. Young adult cannabis consumers nearly twice as likely to suffer from a heart attack. Research shows. Okay. To read a snippet of the article... Whether you smoke it, vape it, eat it as an edible, cannabis may be significantly increasing your risk of a heart attack. Adults under 45 years old who consumed cannabis within the last 30 days suffered from nearly double the heart attacks that adults who don't use the drugs would, according to research published Tuesday in the Canadian Medical Association Journal. And then let me cut to the bottom here Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Okay. I'm going to jump around. Researchers analyzed health data from over 3,300 adults ages 18 to 44, included in a U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention survey in 2017 and 2018. Okay. Of those, 17% of adults who reported using cannabis within the previous month, 1.3% later had a heart attack, while only 0.8% of non-cannabis users reported having a heart attack. Okay. So far, so good, right? <clears throat> Some people, and then, um, and then if you go through, and then there's a quote from the person who did the research. Okay. Are you following so far? Yes. Okay. Some people assume that consuming cannabis is safe and can't harm your body, but that is incorrect, says lead study author Dr. Kareem Ladha, clinical scientist and staff anesthesi anesthesiologist at St. Michael's Hospital and University of Toronto in Canada, there's increasing evidence that this could potentially be harmful for you, both in short-term and long-term, he said. Then at the fucking bottom of the article, it says, the study did not research how cannabis affects heart health, Hmm. but he did note that previous research showed the drug can affect the user's heart health. What? I don't understand what you just said. Basically, they pulled a bunch of evidence from a 2017 and 2018 survey, mm-hmm. mixed it up, did no research themselves, and did not research how the cannabis was linked to actual heart health. It just said that the people who had heart conditions, mm-hmm. also 1.3 instead of 0.8% of them had used cannabis in the last 30 days. And how many of them also had a chocolate milkshake? 
does not show. Or wear Converse sneakers or... Have um, pre-existing his family history. Sleep on their side or this is completely unrelated to... You're saying that the data that they used to prove this very fucking clickbaity, attention-grabby headline mm-hmm. actually has nothing to do with cannabis being related to heart health. It's just something that was included in this survey in order to... And now it was spinned <clears throat> into a headline that says young adult cannabis consumers nearly twice as likely to suffer from heart attack. And it's not twice as likely. It's that of those 3,300, 17% of the adults said that they had used cannabis in the previous month, and 1.3% of them later had a heart attack, where only 0.9% of non-cannabis users reported the same. So it's not twice as likely. It's the difference between 1.3% and 0.8% mm-hmm. of 3,300 people who eventually one day had a heart attack. Yeah. <clears throat> Fucking crazy. I mean, this is the thing about mainstream media reporting on cannabis because they have been so steeped in the language of the very fucking successful war on drugs and the fact of the, you know, the eighties fucking dare programs and all of that kind of stuff that they don't actually know how to pull back and look at something like this. This might be a study that's worth following up on and doing more research on, but this headline and the way it's reported sounds super fucking problematic. Super fucking. Pro- so it's all all of this data, 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 data that mm-hmm. actually doesn't tie together. And then it's like, we didn't actually do any of our own research for this at the very bottom. Right. Here's where it gets deeper. Cause I really wanted to kind of explore the article a bit more to know what I'm talking about. Bottom of the article says the study did not research how cannabis affects heart health. The head researcher says, mm-hmm. but he noted that previous research showed the drug can affect the user's heart rate. When someone's heart rate is irregular, it can increase the amount of oxygen the heart needs, and cannabis can limit the amount of oxygen delivered to the heart because you're smoking it. Mm. Then you go a little bit deeper, and this is where it gets really interesting for me. The next section of it, modern cannabis is extremely potent, is Mm -hmm. the headline. Cannabis sold on the market today is much more potent than cannabis sold 50 years ago, says Robert Page, chair of the American Heart Association's who said this isn't your grand what your granddaddy oh used to God, smoke at Woodstock so this is highly potent exhausting so then they talk about how it can have negative interactions and how it's through your liver and explaining the dangers of marijuana so i googled the american heart association cuz i was like this feels like a clinical study teamed up with the American Heart Association to do some anti-cannabis propaganda mm-hmm. and you know who just left as the president of the American Heart Association to run as the to somebody named Susan Du Bois, who is now running for Alabama's House District. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, of course, it's like this like deep Republican well, propaganda big pharma is machine. Anti-weed. Yeah, big yeah, pharma is right? usually anti-weed unless they can actually you know synthesize it and own it. Uh, absolutely. So this is like some big lobbyist bullshit article, absolutely funded by the American Heart Association, who has deep pockets and is now t- trying to take a controlling seat in Alabama's government, and they're tying that into. And they're tying that into the dangers of cannabis because in Alabama and all over the place, like they're all just trying to push this agenda of like cannabis is going to give you a heart attack. Yeah, that's do your wild. fucking research because this is goddamn CNN. My parents listen to CNN. CNN. CNN My parents say shit like, you know, well, CNN, they do a pretty good job. And no, it's like, no, they don't. They're mainstream media and any mainstream media, you know, not to not to take a conservative talking point on board. But, you know, like you just, when it comes to weed, they don't do a good job of reporting it correctly. And that is something that I am in agreement with when it comes to the mainstream media having a problem getting things right, because they truly don't 
know where to start or how to write about something when there has been, you know, this plant that has been completely made unavailable for any clinical data, scientific research, availability for even, you know, just like blind studies and trials and all that kind of stuff. The only research that's really been able to make its way to American shores has been done in Israel and Germany and Canada and all this sort of stuff. And America is just starting to catch up. So yeah, the drug war has been super fucking successful. It's such a propaganda article. The very last thing in it is Ladha, who is the head researcher or the head publisher for this article says, in the future, he wants to study cannabis users in real time instead of looking at survey results retroactively. Yeah. But it's difficult to run that type of study because cannabis is not legal in every state or at a federal level, he noted. And it's like, bitch, the damage has already been done by yeah. the top of the article saying, you're going to get a heart attack if you smoke weed, especially if you're a teen. You have double the risk. By the way, we did no research. We're just pulling some data from other things that didn't even do a deep dive into family history. And also this article was probably floated to them by the American Heart Association, who has now had their president leave their association because of all their connections to have controlling seat in Alabama's fucking state. It's very, mm. it's very difficult to work against the propaganda because the machine behind the propaganda is the machine that sort of runs things, right? So like in that very Orwellian way, the Ministry of Truth you know, the Ministry of Information that's pumping everything out is telling you lies mm -hmm. a lot of the time. And and so that is why it's, yeah, absolutely critical that we get federally legalized trials of cannabis so we have clear data to refute this shit. And in the meantime, we can push back and just say, Shh, you don't know what you're talking about, and this is absolute fucking bullshit. It's, and it's so damaging. It's like if I exploded your car and then tossed you the keys. Right. Right? Because it's like, I already... Exploded well, this your is the car. Sort of equivalent of saying, like, you know, uh, if you wear a red shirt on a Tuesday, the likelihood of you being hit by a falling tree branch is higher, just because there's that, like, yes. we've gathered the Perfect. information by people who were hit by tree branches, and it turns out most of them were wearing a red shirt on Tuesday. Yeah, what and it also talking? turns out there was a home game in St. Louis, and the Cardinals were playing. But yeah. let's not talk about that as a reason they were wearing red shirts. They're pulling, they're pulling disconnected facts in order to make a case, and that is, you know, something that's a very successful tactic, politically, and, uh, you know. For, for companies who want to make money off of things, uh, they do it all the fucking time. Yeah. Um, it sounds like there's a drill coming through your wall. Someone here. is vacuuming downstairs. Your, your neighbor is doing some vacuuming. We, should we get to our Buds of the Week and our uh, fantastic guest while we <laughs> give your vacuuming neighbor a chance to do their house cleaning? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, last thing I'll say about... No, let's do it. I don't need to say anymore. I'm just heated, heated, heated. Do, do you, your research, folks. What do you? What is your last thing? It's just that I know weed isn't perfect, and I know it's not like it's it's not a perfect plant sure. in any stretch. And it there is, are, a, it is a perfect plant. Yes, but you know what? Like there are like maybe it's not for everyone, and maybe it can. And and it's definitely if I like smoke six blunts a day, like yeah, my lungs are going to be affected by all that smoke. There's no denying certain things, but shit like this just fucking makes me so mad. But I, I also don't want to be the kind of person who just walks around pretending that it's all magic. Like weed is a magical plant yeah. that can cure all ills and yeah. cancer and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I think that's equally, equally dangerous. And your point is, yeah, it's not perfect in the sense that, you know, it is... You can have uncomfortable experiences with it as a consumer, and there are all sorts of things related to the manufacturing and retail of cannabis that is, you know, harmful in, in many different ways. But none of them are are helped by the fact that it's criminalized and fucking stigmatized and not researched correctly.
exactly. And this is, you know, uh, just another point in the favor of just getting more data so we can make better decisions about all of it, including your own use of it. And if you feel like, oh, I actually like have a history of heart disease in my family, and but I love weed. I'd like to know more about this. Will this actually put me at risk? Hopefully we can have some more studies that will look into that so you can have some firmer uh, data to yes. rely on. With right now we can we can pretty much say that this is just uh, propaganda. Bullshit. Yeah. Fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. CNN stands for crap n- crap no n- not- CNN stands for let's hire Jeffrey Tubin back because we haven't seen enough of that guy. Yeah. Honestly, thank God. <laughs> Fuck him too, man. God damn wow. it. I right. just I don't I don't know him, but why does he get his job back? You know, they all do. Right. That's, All right, another topic for another day. <laughs> sure. You can go on our Patreon and we'll, <laughs> where we do deep dives into more insanity in the world. Let's do Buzz of the Week. We have a great guest in Mike Daisy this week. Yes, we do. Do you want to go first or second? I will go second. Okay. My Buzz of the Week this week is Joel D, who is at Joel underscore Crookers underscore Remix. Crookers is C-R-O-O-K-E-R-S. At Joel underscore Crookers underscore Remix. I'm just going to read what he wrote to us because it was a lovely message. Hey friends, the Rosh Hashanah episode you guys did recently is fantastic. Mike, your experience practicing traditional culture is beautiful and you should feel proud. Thank you, Joel. Um, That means a lot actually hearing that from you and anybody because I do struggle with um, pride in my past. So don't be embarrassed to reconnect with your ancestors. They give you power. I really appreciate that. Mary Jane, you are beautiful as always. Your grounded energy in this episode. Checking Mike on his energy. Totally perfect. You guys are just peas in a podcast. And yet also yin and yang. P.S. The recounting of the chili and arepas made me fucking hungry. P.S.S. or P.P.S. I'm trying to access medical weed in Australia. And I'll leave it at that because I don't know how much more to read about um, right, private things. private, yeah. Yeah, but thank you so much for that note. And also would love to come to Australia. Maybe could Definitely. like smoke something together and like celebrate the power of our past and, uh, you know, make some good food. I promise I won't make a uh, state of the world bowl for you, Joel. <laughs> I can't wait to, I have one of my dear friends from a long time ago, Sarah Aubrey is an actor in Australia and she lives in Sydney with her girlfriend, maybe now her wife, and they have like a beautiful home full of amazing mid-century modern furniture and cute dogs and they're just gorgeous, cool people and I'm always trying to find a reason to go and like post up there for a week. Heck yeah. So uh, Sarah, if you're listening, I don't even know if she listens to this podcast, but uh, maybe we'll come over and try and stay with you and Rebecca. Let's go. <laughs> That's my butt of the week, Joel. Nice. Well, my butt of the week is Raven at High Flying Raven, R-A-Y-V-E-N. And I'm also going to read a note from Raven. Raven says, hey, Mary Jane and Mike, I just finished the episode titled Shark Tank and why Mike won't get married episode as I'm trying to get caught up. You guys wanted to know some fun ways people got engaged and I wanted to share my story as I thought y'all would like it. It was in a dive bar on a Sunday. I was in full drag as a drag king, lip syncing Death of a Bachelor by Panic at the Disco. And during the breakdown, I pulled my now wife to dance with me. And then I got on one knee during the final chorus. We have been married for over one year now and love your podcast. Keep up the awesome work. Beautiful. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So congrats, Raven, to you and your wife. And thanks for writing. And we're glad you dig the pod. And Yeah. Also, great awesome. song. Yes. Would love to see you perform to that. That's so <laughs> rad. It's fantastic. I don't know. It's just 
good vibes from from friends who listen. Thank we, you. We got some sparkling buds out there. And our guest today is our a VIB. sparkling bud. Our VIB, Mike Daisy. Man, I've known Mike. I feel like we met maybe like 2003 or 2004. Um, I'll give him an official intro. Mike Daisy, if you haven't heard of him. He's a monologist and an author. He's been hailed as the master storyteller and one of the finest solo performers of his generation by the New York Times. He's been compared to a modern-day Mark Twain and a latter-day Orson Welles for his provocative monologues that combine the political and the personal. He's toured across five continents, has been a guest on Real Time with Bill Maher and The Late Show with David Letterman, and he's been a commentator and contributor to The New York Times, The Guardian, Harper's Magazine, Vanity Fair, Slate, Salon, NPR, and the BBC, to name a few. He's also my friend. Yeah, he is. And like we've vacationed together and hung out together and gone to raves together. And I've seen so many of his incredible shows through the years. It's been a delight to watch him just work his craft. I mean, fuck. I think his last show that I saw in person was the Trump card, which he performed here in LA at the Broad in um, 2016 before Trump ascended to the presidency. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, just an amazing performer, an amazing mind, an amazing thinker, and um, just a good friend. So I'd like to add one note to that before we get into the interview. Mm -hmm. Um, We were doing this over Zoom because he's in Cape Cod, Uh and there was two places where the audio dropped when I was syncing all of our tracks. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say thank you, Mike, for calling this pandemic a plague and not mincing words on what it actually is, and also calling climate change climate collapse during our discussion because there was a moment when we got into how why words matter and uh it it wasn't able to make the final cut because audio dropped and spiked so i just want to give everybody context and also thank mike for only speaking with words that are true it is climate collapse and it is a fucking plague awesome yeah well without further ado here is our interview with mike daisy Daisy, it is so good to see you. It's good to be seen. I am so excited to finally hang. I feel like this will be the many the, the many of a beginning. This will be the beginning of many conversations because when I was Mike and I were talking about today and what we wanted to talk to you about, and it was sort of like, I mean, open the open the tickle trunk and and pick out anything, and we could talk about that for, you know, until until the end of time. So. I mean, for, for any of our listeners who, I mean, well, everyone's heard our wonderful introduction of you and, and uh, all that kind of stuff, but just talk a little bit about where where you are right now and what you're up to in, in life, in this current moment in your life in 2021. Oh, that's, uh, that's funny because I'm in, I'm in the midst of uh, transition. I'm in a lot of transition. I'm, um, okay. So if the introduction said something about what I do, I, I do this very particular um, incredibly, uh, uh, obscure thing, which is I tell stories on stage live with no editing, um, and no scripting. And, uh, and I made a whole career out of that and done it for almost 25 years, uh, and made a living the whole time, like, and been a living artist in the American theater. And then I don't know if you noticed, but you heard there, there was a plague. And so the American (laughs) theater stopped and all the theaters stopped, and all the live events stopped, and um, and I managed to do some shows this spring um, uh, in New York with like very very strict protocols, uh, and then and then 
like all of us, had this experience that Delta came surging back. And so I'm in this position where um, over the summer, I really started to collect ideas for myself about what had happened over this over this year and during this plague and what I wanted to turn it into. You know, like what I wanted to do coming out of this that was positive. Because let's be clear, it's not positive. Nothing about the plague is positive. But we live our lives in reaction to what's happening. And so I wanted to figure out how to, how to do something worthwhile. And so I'm going to be going to school in um, this month, in September, for the first time since I, you know, barely graduated from undergraduate um, uh, decades ago. And I'm, I'm going to school because I've become a podcast fellow at this program um, that, uh, that, that, that takes uh, about 12 people and trains them in podcasting. So it's funny that we're having this conversation because that's what I'm <laughs> going to be doing. Um, and using, I mean, I don't know if ultimately I'm going to see myself as a podcaster, but I want to be able to tell my stories in a digital medium and I wanted some place to work on that. Uh, more than just uh, fiddling around, I wanted to talk to people about what was possible. And so for the next nine months, I'm going to be training myself to tell stories in a new way because I don't know when we're getting back to the stage. And even if we get back to the stage, there were so many problems with live theater for me. Uh, from the access problem, like it made me completely crazy that the more successful I was, the higher my ticket prices got. And I couldn't actually drive them down. I tried very hard. And what I achieved when I made my ticket prices lower is that I lowered my status in the theater. So if I wanted to keep my status high, I needed 50 and 60 and $70 ticket prices. And so um, this way, by reaching a lot more people, I can finally do the kind of work that reaches lots of people that doesn't rely on an incredibly high ticket price. And so... Uh, I'm trying to make this transition in a big way. You know, having watched your work evolve over, I mean, you and I met in, I feel like, 2003 or 2004, back when you, you and I had just moved to New York at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and you know, all of, all of the different ways that you've told stories, I'm, I'm so interested to see how that translates to an audio format. Because one of the ways that you very specifically hold your audience is with your voice. And it's, it's so wonderful uh, to to be totally carried uh, uh, through with someone who can just command the space just using that instrument, there is one thing that is happening in podcasting that is with uh, a very it's it's too, I think it's specific to one podcast that I'm thinking about, but it's this I think a mostly female vocal pattern that happens where they want you to listen to them and so they talk really fast for a little while and then they stop, <laughs> and then they say a few things really slowly and then they talk for a while longer about what it was they had for lunch and what it was they had for tea and then they stop yes. and then they tell you a point and then and i've just like very specifically i've noticed it's female duos where they have this pattern i think they've sort of locked into it to like get people to listen yes <laughs> and uh yeah i just i i hope that you um break that down with a sledgehammer because I mean it's also it's a great I mean it's a great example also of how um an art form listens to itself like probably the people doing that like the first person using that call it a trick call it a shtick call it I often like to call a strategy or a tactic 
was probably, right. I mean, it's a good tactic. Like, I can hear it even when you're making fun of it. But the problem becomes that a certain critical mass of people do it. And it's like there's the first wave of people doing it. And it's it's working so well that the second wave does it. And then the third wave. Like, yeah. uh, because all podcasts should have some shit talking in them. Um, so I worked with The Moth for many years. And I hosted for them. And I worked with them, like, in a pivotal early era. Um, early to, like, so, so they weren't, like, uh, they didn't have an NPR show. Uh, they were very popular in New York City, but they hadn't gone beyond it. And one of the things I always, um, frankly, fought with them over was their house style. And I'd be like, storytelling, come on, guys. Like, I'd be in these rooms with the directors, and we'd all be discussing how to put the show together. And I'd be like, we need a multiplicity of styles. Like, every story shouldn't be told in one style. And Moth, <laughs> honestly, and you can see this in the, if you listen to the Moth, was like, no, all stories have one style. They all begin in media res. So we begin, every story begins with being like, and the gun was in my hand, and what did it mean? And then they say, hold on, let's take it back a little bit. And then, and, <laughs> but like, that is a nice technique, but if you use it every time... You burn right. everything out. My other pet peeve that the moth did and still does, and other this, this is a problem everywhere, including in TV writing, is the idea that you should always raise the stakes. It seems intuitive, but I honestly feel like raising the stakes is like the contrast slider in Photoshop. Like, you think you're making all your photos look better because everything is so extreme, but at a certain point, in 10 years, when you look at what you did to your photos, you'll be like, those look fake. Like, they don't age well if you make all the stakes be unnaturally, psychotically high. There are some yeah. stories that just have lower stakes. They can still matter. In fact, they can be, like, delicately rendered. But the idea that every story should maximize all the stakes it possibly can every single time is fucked. And it's a lot of, like, when I watch bad TV, I often feel yeah. like, oh... They've just, like, unnaturally made all the stakes so high. So every character got, like, notes from an executive. So that the stakes have to be high for every person. So suddenly on this one day, everyone's having the biggest day of their lives. And you're just like, <laughs> I just want to eat my fucking popcorn. Like, calm the fuck down. Nine Perfect Strangers. It got super sloppy because everyone has to matter. And so now I don't care about any of them. Yep. And then, you know, when it comes to, I mean, I wonder if we can trace that a little bit to the you know the takeover of the uh, the superhero movie at the box office and that everything just has to get bigger every single time because you know look I just went and saw F9 and it was the greatest two hours of my life in a reclining air-conditioned theater with some a fucking bucket of dips and a bucket of popcorn it was pure joy uh, but, but also I don't remember what happened I don't you know I certainly I remember Vin Diesel does a real slow kind of smile at one point but um yeah, I think that that's such such a great point, and Mike and I talk about it sometimes on here about how there's, you know, there is, it's very hard to find anything good at the multiplex anymore. The only good TV we're really seeing is, you know, ev everyone talks about it because it's what's good on TV, and maybe in podcasting the same the same applies a little bit. Hearing your work, Mike, I'd love to ask you about your rhythm. Uh, because we found a rhythm on here that once we get into it, time flies and things bubble up that we never would have achieved otherwise. Do you remember when you found 
your rhythm and what that did to your art? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was finding the form itself, like making this fundamental decision to, to jump off a cliff. Um, my first monologue was in the 90s. And um, and I remember I'd um, what happened was I'd moved out to Seattle by driving across the country. And my life had fallen apart in Maine, where I'd grown up. And so when I got to Seattle, I was doing a lot of garage theater there. And people would be like, after the show, we'd all be drinking, because that's mainly why we do theater. And then while we're drinking, <laughs> people would uh, people would be like, where are you from? I'd be like, Maine. And they'd be like, Maine, that's a long way from Seattle. What brought you here? And I'd be like, Bruh! and I would tell the whole story. <laughs> I would literally be like, it was a sunny day, and I was driving. Like, I told the whole story, uh, sort of complete on a bridge. And it was because I was fucked up, and I was, like, processing some huge life events. Um, but people did find themselves saying, you know, you should you should tell that story on stage. And so I started thinking, you know, maybe I should. And, I, and, 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 and so I decided to make a show. But... Um, and so I, I did it the way I've, I've sort of done all my theater since, in that I, I booked the theater. I got someone to agree to let me have a theater, uh, you know, like a, a theater I've been working with, like have a time slot. But then, then it was like, and I I put up in those days posters. You know, you literally make a poster. You're like, so I put up posters, and then I was like, oh shit, I better figure out what the fuck is going to happen. So I was like, no problem, because now I have all this pressure. The show's coming. I'll sit down and write the show. I remember I didn't even think about not writing the show, because that was the form. I'd be trained in theater school, and I was a writer. I, I, I'd written, I, was, I thought I was going to be a poet uh, for a lot of my life. I didn't think I was going to go into theater. So I'm used to writing things. And so I remember going to some, a succession of Seattle coffee shops and sitting there with my pad and my pen, and I remember I didn't even start. I would every time sit down, and I'd get the coffee, and I would just sit there holding the pen, and I would just stare at the pad, and I wouldn't write anything. And this went on uh, for weeks, until I was, like, running out of fucking time. And my friend Troy had signed on to the show as a director, and I didn't even know what I would do with a director, um, uh, I, but I knew shows were supposed to have directors, so he had agreed to do it, so he was on board. And so eventually I met with Troy to be like, I'm, I'm completely fucking this up because I won't, I'm not writing down, I don't have a script and I can't, I can't even start the script. Like I don't, I don't, I've, I've completely fucked this up. And it was Troy, God bless him, who had a really... Is this Troy Fishnaller? No, this is Troy Mink. This is Troy Mink. Troy Mink. And, um... He is uh, still a great performer today, uh, who I performed with for years, where he plays his mother. He dresses in drag and plays basically a version of his mother. And just these long, completely improvised uh, evenings, really, a whole evening, where we would have uh, basically a variety show with people that we'd advertised for in the local alt-weekly, The Stranger, and we'd advertised to come be on a variety show, and then we had picked the weirdest most fucked up people. So it was this odd combination where the show was very earnest because these people earnestly had been cast on a show. So no one was being lied to, no, but they were weird. And then Carlotta, his character, who is his mother, is weird. And then we would interview them earnestly. And that was, the it was weird, very strange combination of like, you know, it's not a parody. It's like, it's just a, a the weirdest variety show. And it was from that background of making all those shows that, that um, 
Troy was able to say, Mike, maybe you're not writing it because you want to tell the story. Like, you've told me the story many times, so maybe that's what you want to do is you want to tell it. And it was honestly one of those beautiful examples of how we need people in our lives who give us permission to be ourselves. Like, if that man had not been there at that critical time to tell me to walk through the door, I don't think I would have found that door on my own. I would have kept trying to write it, and then eventually I would have written it. And it might have even been okay. But instead, I did this kind of crazy thing, which is I didn't write it at all. And then, you know, I thought about it a tremendous amount in this new way. Namely, well, if I could talk about this and I could talk about that. And then in the 24 hours before, and really, honestly, just like the three or four hours beforehand, I locked myself in a little corner of open circle theater in in the back while another show was going on because it was the eight o'clock show. And then I took notes then. And wrote out what I was going to do. And then when the lights came up, I spoke the same way I'm speaking to you. But, I mean, hopefully a little better, you know, on the <laughs> stage. But, like, that's honestly where the rhythm, you know, that's where it started. Was this It's a fundamentally different idea about being alive in the moment on stage. Like, to actually hear the energy of each change that happens both from the audience and then also in response to your own discoveries of what it is you're saying because you don't actually know what you're going to say and i discovered over the decade since that there's this inherent tension in it that makes it uh, completely not slack like it's very engaging to watch someone speak extemporaneously because if they're honestly doing it they're making discoveries at the same time that you're hearing them. And so there's this thing where we talk about an acting school, like people need an objective. Well, the objective when you're truly telling a story that way is I need to tell you this story. So there's already an objective that pulls through and, it, and like a sail growing taut, it like really uh, energizes it in a way that um, if you're re- reciting a script, you have to work very hard to make it feel as though it's alive. This instead is actually alive. And, and I feel like the key for me, what I think, for um, getting comfortable and not like speeding when you feel the energy dropping and not, um, all these things generally are symptoms of feeling um, insecure. And, and the insecurity often comes out of a feeling of like wishing, wishing that people liked you. And it's an interesting paradox, I think, that in order to be the kind of person who naturally has a stage inclination, um, I think you need to want attention. Like, at a formative early age, you need to, like, want it. But then, in order to do a good job, I think you have to kill it. Mm -hmm. Because the more you don't care... I care immensely that the people are engaged... That I care about. But I care, I do, have worked very hard to not care what they think of me or whether they think it's funny moment to moment. That's what took mm. a decade to burn out of me, was scanning them for approval while still being intensely interested that they're having a journey. Um, I often say and that, uh, like... Of all the fields that have informed my work, 
one of the ones that most informs it is um, my friends who've worked in, as sex workers. And I feel like a lot of it is like learning that like this is a job, this is my job. My job on a given night, for example, is to ensure that you have the best experience you are capable of, which is not the same as the best experience I'm capable of, nor does it mean like I can't, I, I shouldn't be judging whether you had a fantastic time or not. I'm here to facilitate as much transformation as possible uh, for you. But like, I'm not you and I can't make you laugh more or like the amount I can actually affect in the world is not as big as it seems. And so there's a Zen sort of aspect to it that I think the kind of people drawn to performance are not particularly Zen. And so it takes a long time to balance this like hyper kinetic wanting people to look at you energy with being like, no, I have a story to tell you. That's the important thing. And I'm just going to tell it. We were talking about that Carl Sagan quote, which I know I sent over to you before we started recording today. I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because it feels like it encapsulates so much of what I worry about. And I want to hear someone like you talk about it. And the quote is, I won't read the whole thing, but Carl Sagan wrote, I have a foreboding of an America in my children's or grandchildren's time when we're a service and information economy, when nearly all the key manufacturing industries have slipped away to other countries, when awesome technological powers are in the hands of a very few and no one representing the public interest can even grasp the issues, when clutching our crystals and consulting our horoscopes, our critical faculties in decline, unable to distinguish between what feels good and what's true, we slide almost without noticing back into superstition. You know, that we've been rising, 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 and now we're at the point of, of decline. I, I, we, can, we can all feel it. We can see it happening. And I know you've covered tech so extensively in your work and your shows, and you've had such an eye on the cultural and political significance of everything that's going on. Do you feel like this is truly what's happening, that we, we are sliding, we're collapsing, it's all ending? Uh, yes. I mean, the, the short answer is, is yes, because uh, uh, I've been working on a book for years and I got the contract, you know, I, the, the, the Cassandra thing again, I got the contract for this book in 2013, at which time it was a radical idea. The book is titled Here at the End of Empire. And it's about the idea that this is the end of the American empire, like we're living through it uh, right now. Like, this, this is what it means as authoritarianism rises and becomes more attractive, like, here and globally, and, 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 and where all these different factors, um, you can feel them intensifying. And they're intensifying because it's the world that we made. Like, that Sagan quote is interesting because, like, uh, if you're a nativist, um, if you're a nativist, if you're like uh, on the, if you're a, a, a Trumpist, you might believe like that's right. Like we sent away all our manufacturing to those overseas places, but I mean, we sent it away. Like we made that choice. Like we chose to engage in, in a tremendous amount of corporatism and capitalism, and then we let those corporations behave according to their to their 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 whims and their own rules and so by their own rules they were like if we can get away with it we will and then they sent all the all those jobs away and they sent the ability to manufacture away i mean one of the things i find shocking right now that the sagan quote remind me of is how as a kid i was alive for the cold war for the end of the cold war and um so i was around when we would discuss in the west 
how horrible it was in the Soviet Union. And it's hard to imagine now that there were two competing ways of like lensing the world. And so we had this vested interest in America and talking all the time in our media everywhere about how that way was bad. And one of the main ways you knew that way was bad was they had supply chain problems. Like they would always talk, like one of the main things you talk about is that you think the Soviet Union is nice and oh, they've got healthcare, but people go to the grocery store and there's not stuff on the shelves and you order a sofa and who knows when the sofa is going to show up. And I'm here in the triumph of capitalism. And that is true now. Like absolutely true. Like about everything. Like in fact, because of outsourcing, it's so endemic to everything. I I have many friends who are, I have a friend who just went through this thing with a refrigerator where the refrigerator broke. It's a huge disaster now if your refrigerator literally breaks because most repair people don't actually have the ability to repair a broken refrigerator. They just would order the parts to fix the refrigerator and uh, it's not worth it, even in good times. And now the parts will not show up for so long that they're just like, get a new refrigerator, but you can't get a new refrigerator. They're not available in most places. Like, like literally they're not available. Like my friend called and they live in Seattle. So they live in an urban area. They called many different stores and the soonest delivery they had on any refrigerator was uh, was eight weeks. So, like, these are the things that start happening when, like, your society is, is crumbling. It doesn't seem like it, but, but it is actually very fundamental things. Like, my thing that keeps my food cold is broken. It is not possible to fix it. And it gives you some insight in, like, how close we all are to things being super fucked. Right? Yeah. Like, I have friends in New Orleans who, I don't know, depending on where we are in time and space, when people listen to this, the the, the, the hurricane that just hit New Orleans, as, as we're speaking, my, my friend didn't have power for 11 days. And that's going to become, as climate collapse happens, this is the norm that things happen to you like that, where you lose power not for 48 hours, or that was funny, we had some candles, you, you really are in danger for your life. And, and you start having to make decisions about, like, when I think about what city I'm going to live in, you have to actually be like, and what will that place be like? Not if, but when there is, and which brand of climate collapse disaster will it attract? And it's, it's pretty radically different than we were used to even 20 years ago. This might be our last conversation because we fall into the ocean tomorrow. So it was great to connect with you today. <laughs> I'm glad we're, it's good that we're doing it now. It's good to get it in. Make sure you finish the upload so that, you know, like one line, as, it, as the upload completes, there's like the sound of gurgling at the end and then, and then it just trails off, which would fix this yeah. problem. I said with podcasts aren't unique enough. Like if you, if you literally start posting and then the next one is from an air bubble that you're trapped in <laughs> 40 feet under. I think that'll be great. I mean, I'll, I'll get you a Peabody. I think that'll be amazing. Great. Yeah. Air bubble podcasting. Mm-hmm. It sounds uh, it. I'm in. Great. <laughs> well, we've had so much fun as friends over the years, uh, both weed and grub related and psychedelics related and party related. And, you know, all, all of the fun that we've had, we've got to ask about some, some weed and grub before we go. Yeah. How, how are you feeling about cannabis in your life nowadays i mean new york is legal now yes so if you want to smoke weed legally in in your hometown you can and also i now 50 percent of the time in cape cod so i have access to all the massachusetts stores so it's actually been so quite radically different 
Uh, in fact, I was thinking about how it's great that this is weed and grub because for me, all the answers I have are so different than what I would have said a year ago. Because um, on the weed side, I'm consuming so much more weed. Now, having said that, I was not a good consumer of weed before, uh, or I, a frequent consumer. Um, and that's mostly because of, uh, it's very interesting about how legalization works. It's because of problems with delivery systems. Like, I always liked getting high, but um, I have sensitive lungs. Like, I've never smoked, and I know that I can't smoke, like, my anything. Like, I've never smoked. So, like, I, my lungs, the lining gets really inflamed. So... The few times I've gotten high uh, on, on on a joint, like it's just it, like the pe the payment for it the next day is brutal because my lungs hurt so much. So I need uh, gummies and edibles are fantastic, but in the era before this era, having an edible was like, let's find out what happens to you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like I had a, I mean I had a wonderful time like ten years ago. I remember I had a, a girlfriend who would make these incredibly powerful uh pot brownies and they were great but you'd literally be like you take one on friday night and be like time for a lost weekend and you just be like <laughs> which i have wonderful memories of them being of, of fuzzy but like there's a lot of times when you'd like to get high you know the same way that that regular in the regular world people are like i think i'll have a drink and so the, 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 the fact that now it's actually metered and measured and tells you to an accurate degree what the hell will happen to you has made an immense difference in my usage. It's mm -hmm. completely different because now I will just like have one at night after or at dinner, right before dinner and time out. So like, oh, and then have a nice evening. Um, I love it. It's become my yeah. main thing. I don't, uh, I don't drink anymore. I've never been much of a drinker, uh, but that's actually related to the grub side, which is also okay. why my weed side has changed, because I'm now um, four months, I've, I've been living without any carbs or any sugars of any kind. And so that's a radical shift for me. Uh, listeners can't tell, but I'm very fat. And... Um, and it's I've I've tried uh, different reductions of different ways at different times, but this is like by far the most um, comprehensive diet I've ever done that way, and it's the most strict. Um, and when I say that, I mean it's just interesting. Like most people, I think, depending on what their diet is and how they're feeling about it, um, don't stick to it all the time. But I mean, literally for four months, I haven't had a single carbohydrate or sugar. And so it, I, I know that one of the reasons I'm, I'm, I'm getting high more is my body finally accepted that I was making this radical change and then it wanted to know what it could do instead. And so mm. I have shifted some of my pleasure centers over to uh, edibles. And it's worked. Wow. It's really worked. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm a huge, I'm a big, it's very interesting because you know that I'm, I'm actually not like the biggest uh, uh, stoner in the world because of the problems from earlier, like in our history. But this is actually my peak. Like I'm the most using it and the happiest of my whole life so far. Fucking fantastic. That's so good to hear. I have, I'm, I'm on Weight Watchers right now and I'm using edibles, uh, 
a lot, you know, just in general. I've, I'm not drinking at all right now either. This summer has sort of given me some perspective, and I've, I, I want to be awake for it. You yeah. Know? I want to be very present for everything right now, and, and alcohol doesn't fit into that. And what I love about the California regulated industry is that, yeah, I can go pick up whatever it is, that bag of weed-infused shrimp chips, for instance, that I just ate. Oh my delicious. God. <laughs> Fucking delicious. <laughs> and, and look at the back and sort of know, oh, this is, this is the breakdown of everything in here and this is what I can expect. And more often than not, they're right, which mm-hmm. is just wonderful. So I'm so excited to hang again and, and have some infused foods with you. And um, Yeah, what does that look like for you? Is it a lot of vegetables, lean proteins, and yeah, water? It, it's, a, uh, it's a very, uh, what people traditionally call a ketogenic diet. You know, like it's very, uh, a lot of protein, a lot of fat. So just a crazy number of avocados. Um, uh, uh, and the carbohydrates are incredibly restricted. Like mm-hmm. I try to have less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. Look, for a great example for people who aren't in this world, if I ate an English muffin, I would blow my whole, the carbohydrates I have a day easily. So you, you basically don't eat anything, certainly anything that's a bread, and you even sort of track out other things that have residual carbohydrates because you're mm-hmm. training your body to not burn any carbohydrates. And for me, um, I did it because uh, for some degree of weight loss and health, but like more specifically because I have intense blood sugar issues, which I've been wrestling with like my whole life. Uh, and only really became aware of uh, how intense they were and affecting me the last five years. And, uh, and I've spent the last five, six years really tackling them. But this, this is, it's kind of amazing. Like, by changing radically how I eat, I feel so good. I mean, if there's anybody listening who's, um, who lives in that world where you, you, where you um, maybe you're fat and, and maybe doctors have told you you have blood sugar issues like it's it changes fundamentally what it means for me to be alive so even when i'm like really miss cinnamon buns which is almost every day um (laughs) i i i don't want the cinnamon bun because i don't want to go back to what was happening to me then the only other thing i want to say a little side thing related to what mary jane brought up is um i believe really strongly that there's a, a connection in the sugars between um, carbohydrates, which break down to simple sugars, straight up sugar, which is sugar, and uh, alcohol. Like I have met so many people, even in my own family, it's like a little like meter inside of people where some of my siblings are like me and the meter is set all the way over so that they have intense issues with sugar. But those of us who have intense issues with sugar don't care whether we have a drink or not. And then other siblings have the same meter. They don't care if they have sugar, but they care immensely whether they get a drink or not. And I believe in 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to discover that bodies fundamentally have an addiction to sugar and that some people's tastes are slightly different, but it's not that different a problem. So for me, and I'm not casting aspersions on on anybody out there, I hope they're not offended, I've actually found that using... um, AA tools and thinking about it as like, no, it's a kind of sobriety. I have to not have any sugar has uh, made an immense difference rather than trying like every day to make 
good choices. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm being really absolute. And I got to say, I can feel it in the clarity of my thinking and like where I am and how I feel when I'm present. It's, it's totally different than any other time that I tried to moderate it, which makes sense. I mean, if this was drinking instead of, you know, sugars and carbohydrates, I would not feel that much better if I was like, I'm mostly okay, but I have a cinnamon bun, you know, once in a while. Like, it's a very different thing to just be like, no, I'm off of it completely. I even, this is so dorky, I even have the, um, I found an online clock, you know, where you can put in your sobriety date, but mine is for carbs and sugars. So I can look at it sometimes when I really want a cinnamon bun and be like, I don't want to break the streak. I've got a really good streak going. That's awesome. 123 days. Uh, wow, I just forgot how to speak. 123 days, no cinnamon buns. I think it's a kind of magic, honestly. I totally, I you know, not drinking right now and finding things that will sort of hit, hit those pleasure centers. Weirdly, it sounds so pedestrian, but there's this like really flavor, uh, delicious flavor of mineral water that's got lime, mint, and elderflower. And a cold glass of that when I'm really stoned is better than any craft cocktail. So... I don't know. There are ways around it. I can trick myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm keeping the soda stream industry afloat. It's <laughs> really gotten deep into... I never thought I would use up this many of the cartridges. Like, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, they recognize me when I go to get refills at the Staples. They're like, you again. And I'm like, yep, it's, it's me again. I want to talk a little bit about, like, what do we do? Is there solutions? Do we need to all put on uh, army helmets and buy guns and just kind of, like destroy Washington, D.C. so that we can rise up and make change? Like, I mean, do I need to put poison in a Koch Brothers soda? Like, what what what, what needs to be done here? Because I like being alive and and hanging out with friends. I mean, I'm, I'm fond of it as well. I like being alive. I think there's a real, uh, a real thing that happens where we sort of disconnect between um, what our what they used to call the polity, you know, like what society needs to do and what we personally need to do. You know, years ago, I did this show about labor conditions in uh, Apple's supply chain making devices and people would constantly, they still do now, uh, come to me and say, should I get a new iPhone? You know, like what is the ethical implications of a new iPhone? And they would constantly want me to tell them not to, or they would always know what they actually wanted me to say before I got there. And what I always say that they would find endlessly disappointing was that I don't give a shit what you do (laughs) about your iPhone. Like, I don't give a shit. Because at the end of the day, the whole reason I'm talking about this problem is because it's so much larger than your choice about your iPhone. Like, what I want, if you want to, like, expatiate your guilt, tell the story of the labor conditions and talk to other people about it, um, that will do much more good than whether you personally get an iPhone, don't get a... Like, what matters is, like, these large decisions that we're all going to make together. And if you want to help push the rock, help push the rock. So, having said that, we're talking about, like, what we do about climate collapse. Like, it's completely dorky. um, But we have to do, like the really hard and boring work of actual politics. Like one of the things that I did over this pandemic is I've become a pretty uh, serious political activist and I'm pretty serious political activist in the most boring way, which is I phone bank. I have a team of phone bankers and we call people 
um, if we started for the election and we called people for Biden in swing states. And I can tell you, I am not um, a big fan of Biden. I, 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 none of us were. Like most of our Same. team were um, active members of the DSA, you know, the Democratic Socialists of America. We had anarchists, we have artists. But you know what I am a huge fan of is not fascism. So we literally formed this phone banking team whose job it is to call about causes that we ourselves are not actually jazzed about, but we are very interested in darkness not falling. And so we started by doing this campaign for Biden, uh, calling central Pennsylvania month after month, week after. I mean, I put in about, you know, I was putting in like 12, 15 hours a week for, for three or four months. And then right after the election, we shifted and had to do another one to get those two senators, uh, Warnock and Ossoff, elected in Georgia. Because without, uh, without you know, having a Senate, we're not going to be able to make anything fucking change. And now, this week, actually, the same team is making calls to help stop the recall in California. Not because I'm a huge fan of Newsom. I'm not, none of us are. But I'm a huge nope. fan of, like, everything not disintegrating or uh, having a Republican governor who then, you know, gets to nominate someone to a Senate seat if, um, if your world's most ancient senator passes away. And he's in the yes. Republican Senate, uh, governor. You guys are complete. We're all fucked because we'll lose the Senate. And so um, I feel like on a practical way, I started to do very measured, direct things. Like as opposed to like posting on Facebook, talking about, I still do those things. They, they have value. But like I started to do the simple like grassroots, like I literally call voters and got very good and with a supportive team at talking to them about their voting decisions and going person by person and trying to make a difference. And I honestly think that one of the things that happens in a, in a huge situation is we get so freaked out that we convince ourselves that paralysis is actually an ethical choice. Like we convince ourselves that like, well, everything is so fucked. What could we possibly do? I guess we'll do nothing. But it's really important that you don't do nothing. It's definitely better that you do even one small thing instead of nothing. Um, and that's true with everything. Like, that's true. I look back at all the years I was eating sugar, you know, and I shouldn't have been, and I knew I shouldn't have been, but I didn't know how to start. And if I'd made even, even incremental choices, and when I did finally start making incremental choices, that helped get me to the place that I am now where I'm making much better choices. And so this absolutism is totally the enemy of, of actual progress. Like when we convince ourselves that we can't do anything, it's actually a great excuse to, to be lazy. Like we, we, we actually just need to like save the world. And the thing is you do it by like making dumb phone calls. It's like part of one of the ways you save the world. So... I mean, I, I, that's what I would tell people is like, maybe, maybe you, you have it in you to be a phone banker or maybe you just locally organize, like you have to get involved. I love that as a title for this episode, make a dumb phone call and save the world with Mike Daisy. <laughs> 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 that's beautiful. Could you please share whatever it is that you are excited about, where people can find more information about you and anything that you love? You know, um, uh, I, I, like so many people, have plans to update my website, which is currently, this sounds like a joke, but it's literally running on a, on the Blogger platform from 2002. It hasn't been, it's been updated, but not since uh, Trump took office. 
Um, uh, You're the one who gets mad at me for not backing up my hard drive often. It's true. It's true. Insanity. I know. I just leave it there like a pile of garbage. So walking around with no pants on. I know. I know. (laughs) So I recommend if people want to check me out to try social media. I'm I'm at all the places under my name, Mike Daisy. Thank you so much, everyone. You can follow us at Weed and Grub on IG and email us at wg at weedandgrub.com with all of your stories, pictures, and uh, questions uh, about life. Yeah, hit us up with all your questions about life. We have all of the the answers for you. All of the answers. I'll be broadcasting from an air bubble under the sea. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.